Pastor Trent Griffith has a question for you. Are you living in a place of bondage or a place of freedom? God is calling us, get out of Egypt. You're not designed to live there. God never intended you to live there. You're not intended to live under slavery. You are designed to be free and live in a promised land. And so if you as a people will understand your burden, your bondage, your slavery, and cry up in your groaning, God will call you out. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. In the Bible, God uses a lot of different analogies to help us understand the good news of the gospel. He tells us it's like we have an incurable disease and we're in need of some spiritual healing. So he, the great physician, brings his cure. He describes it in financial terms by saying, we owe such a huge amount that we can never repay it. But Jesus took our certificate of debt and nailed it to the cross. He also says, we're like orphans left to die by the road, but he mercifully takes us and adopts us into his family. And so we call him our heavenly father. And that's appropriate this Father's Day weekend, isn't it? But one clear analogy for the gospel is that of being delivered from slavery. You see, we're enslaved to the God of this world, Satan. We're held captive by our own sin, and then we're redeemed. We're purchased from that cruel taskmaster. Now we serve a new master, one who bought us from the slave market of sin and the devil. He paid the price of our redemption with his own blood and set us free. That analogy is such a strong one that God even used his people, the children of Israel, to be literal slaves who were actually set free from slavery, to be that amazing picture of the gospel. Pastor Trent is in a series here on Resonate called Epic, and he's tracing one epic story of the promise through some key points in the Old Testament. So let's listen together. Here's Pastor Trent. Open your Bibles to the second book in your Bible. Anybody know what that is? Exodus. And so we have been in this study through the most epic stories of the Old Testament. And we're finding that in those stories, we find the story of Jesus and we also find our story. So we've been looking at the life of Abraham. We found out that God made a promise to Abraham and uh, we have watched that promise uh, be killed off by God as he asked Isaac to be sacrificed, Abraham's son to be sacrificed. And yet God resurrected the promise uh, by substituting that ram for Isaac's life. And so we're tracing this promise through the scripture. Now, let me ask you to be patient with me a little bit here because I have to summarize about 500 years of ancient history in about three minutes. Are you going to listen fast through this? Because what I'm going to tell you is the story of Independence Day. Not American history, but ancient Christian Hebrew history. We are going to look at how God created a path for the promise and he brought freedom to an enslaved people. So let me try to do that very quickly as we uh, walk through this. And we are looking at from where we came. So when we last left off the story, we realized that Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. 
Jacob had 12 sons. One of those sons was named Joseph. The other 11 brothers were jealous of Joseph and created a plan to sell off their brother Joseph. How many of you have considered selling off a little brother at some point in your life? Like, hey, that, that sounds like a great plan. Well, that's what these rascals did. And so they sold Joseph into the hands of the Ishmaelites, which interestingly was a distant cousin over here uh, from the line of Abraham when he sinned and had a child through Hagar. That was Ishmael. So his whole band of other rogue family members over here. And so Joseph ends up in the Ishmaelites' hands. The Ishmaelites decide to sell him off to a bunch of Egyptians. The Egyptians take Joseph to Egypt, and turns out Joseph ends up rescuing all of his family because uh, God had blessed him. And so that is the way that the book of Genesis ends. The last 11 chapters of Genesis is that story of Joseph. So we open up to the book of Exodus... And we read kind of a summary of where this promise currently is. Now, remember what the promise was. God promised to bless Abraham, even though he deserved nothing but a curse. So he reversed the curse. He promised that this blessing would include, a, he would become a great nation and his descendants would outnumber the sand on the seashore. That's the promise. Let's check in a little bit on how the promise is doing in Exodus 1, beginning in verse 5. All the descendants of Jacob. Now remember, Jacob got his name changed. Does anybody remember the new name of Jacob? Israel. All the descendants of Jacob, all the children of Israel were 70 persons. Think about that. What was the promise to Abraham? Your descendants will outnumber the sand on the seashore. Question, does that sound like 70 people to you? No. So how's the promise doing? The promise is, is, is not great at this point. Let's go on. Joseph was already in Egypt. Where was he? Um, what was the promise God gave to Abraham? That he would have a land, a promised land. Where is the promise located now? It's not even in the land that Abraham was promised. It's in Egypt. Verse 6, let's see if it gets any better. Then Joseph died. Not great. And all of his brothers and all that generation. Can I be honest with you? The Bible should have ended at the end of verse 6. It's just not, the promise is like on life support at this point. What's the first word of verse 7? But. That's a great word in the Bible. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. And they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. So we got 70 people in verse 5. By the time we get to chapter 12 of Exodus, the Bible tells us, there are over 600,000 men besides women, because men usually like to hang out with women. And when they hang out with women, they have babies. 
And so it says 600,000 men besides women and children. A conservative estimate, by the time we get to chapter 12, there's over 2 million descendants of Abraham. How's the promise doing now? So what happens between verse 5 of chapter 1 and chapter 12? Well, let me kind of summarize it for you again. They've greatly increased, but they're living in the land of Egypt. And verse 8 says, Now there arose a new king in Egypt who did not know Joseph. He didn't know the promise. He didn't know how awesome Joseph was and how God had used him. And so he felt threatened by all of these people that were multiplying in his land. And he says, we better do something or these people are going to take over. So down in verse 13, here's the plan. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. And year after year, decade after decade, century after century, the Israelites multiplied, but every one of those children was born into slavery. And they had to work for this new king. His title was Pharaoh. And so God has to go to work to create a path for the promise to come out of Israel. Egypt. We know the story. If you kind of accelerate in the next page, you're introduced to this guy named Moses that God calls out. He uses Moses to go have a conversation with Pharaoh. And the message for Pharaoh is, let my people go that they may worship me. Did Pharaoh let them go? No, he hardened his heart. And so God had to convince Pharaoh that it would be in his best interest to let them go. And so he starts to send plagues. Now, before we get to that, look down at the end of chapter 2 at verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. They cried for rescue. Underline the word rescue. The Bible is a story of rescue. And every page of the Bible is the unfolding plan and path of the rescue. So they cried for rescue from slavery. And that cry came up to God. Verse 24. And God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. There's four points along this path of the promise. The first point is this, a people who cry out. You see, they are in the midst of slavery. They are suffering at the hands of a wicked taskmaster. And they are made to work and conditions are highly unfavorable. And it's an awful situation. And we sympathize with those people who are made to be slaves. But here's the good news. God hears their groaning. And in verse 24, we see that God listens when the groaning goes vertical. Not a whole lot of benefit comes from horizontal groaning. But when the groaning goes vertical, God starts listening and God hears our groaning. Now remember, we're not just looking at ancient history. We are looking at the story of our lives. Every person is born today into slavery. 
And if you have throughout this week at all been disappointed, had any discontentment, had any heartache, any pain, if you've gotten a bad doctor report, if you've had relational conflict, if you haven't had money or joy, if you have been kind of disappointed in the way things are working out, do you know what that is an evidence of? That is an evidence that you are living in a land God never intended you to live in. Now, I am not talking about geographical territory. I'm not talking about northern Indiana or southern Michigan. I am talking about a spiritual place. Every one of us has been born into spiritual slavery. Their slavery was physical. Ours is spiritual. And the New Testament requires us to read this story as if we were slaves because it is the picture of our story. And matter of fact, you may have only known slavery to this point in the same way that those children. We are now 500 years past Abraham. And those children that have been born in the succeeding generations, they knew no freedom. They'd never heard of freedom. The only taskmaster they'd ever known was an evil taskmaster, Pharaoh. And just like them, you may think what you experience in your groaning is normal. And you may not see any path out. Here is the great news of the gospel. The gospel is all about getting people out of their slavery. And until you understand that your groaning is not just because you have a physical problem, it's not just because you have a relational problem, until you understand your greatest problem is that you are living and serving in spiritual slavery, you won't turn your groaning vertical. And when you do, that is the first step of getting out because God hears our groaning and he wants you to turn your attention to him and say, what do I do with this mess that is my life? This habit pattern, this evil thinking, this way that I treat people that I don't even like, this selfishness and this sinful condition that causes me to be so upset with others and so upset with myself. Let the groaning turn vertical and God will hear your groaning. Do you see it? He heard their groaning, verse 24. Look at the next thing that he did in verse 24. He remembered his covenant. And he remembers the covenant, the promise that he's made with each one of us. God remembers back 500 years ago when, when he said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make you a blessing to others. And God's made the same promise to all who will believe and trust him in that promise. God remembers his promise. You know what that means? He doesn't remember how awesome I am. He doesn't remember the religious things that I've done. He remembers his promise. What prompts God to act is not the goodness of me. It's the goodness of his promise. And so God acts because he remembers his promise. And then thirdly, do you see it? Verse 25, God saw the people of Israel. He saw what they were under. He saw their sufferings. He saw their persecution. He saw the condition that they were living in. He knew that they were slaves and he knew there was no way out, but he went to work. And here's the good news. God knows the way out. I love the way verse 25 ends. And God knew. I don't know what you're going through today, but God does. 
There may be secrets that you know that nobody else knows. God knows what you're going through. There may be sin and habit patterns and shame and guilt. God knows. And God knows how you got into that mess. And God knows how to get you out. And so it all starts with a people who cry out in Egypt. Now, we also know this is a story of Jesus. One of the interesting things that we learn in the New Testament about Jesus. Do you remember when Jesus arrived on planet Earth in the form of a baby? He was born in what town? What town was that he was born in? Bethlehem. That was in the promised land. Did you know that? And yet wicked King Herod, the Roman ruler at that time who had lost his mind, he was so threatened and so afraid that somebody was going to take his throne. He heard that there was going to be a king of Israel born. And so what he did was he declared that all of the Jewish children should be killed. That was a problem because Jesus was a Jewish children. And so God, in the form of an angel, spoke to Jesus' daddy, earthly daddy, Joseph, and said, I want you to take baby Jesus out of Bethlehem, and I want you to take him to Egypt. And Matthew interprets that this way. He said the reason that happened is to fulfill the prophecy of Hosea 11.1, which says, my son will be called out of Egypt. The whole story of the gospel is being called out of Egypt. And so we find here there is a people enslaved in Egypt and God is going to use his son that he calls out of Egypt to call his people, his spiritual children, out of Egypt. And so what I want you to understand is God is calling us, get out of Egypt. You're not designed to live there. God never intended you to live there. You're not intended to live under slavery. You are designed to be free and live in a promised land. And so if you as a people will understand your burden, your bondage, your slavery, and cry up in your groaning, God will call you out. Number two point along the path is a judgment that passes over. So... We're going to kind of move quickly. Turn one page, two, three. I'm I'm moving over to Exodus 12 now. You say, what's in there? Let me summarize it for you. Um, God goes to work to try to get Pharaoh's attention. And so he sends nine plagues on Egypt to try to get Joseph to be convinced, I should let these people go. And do you remember the plagues? Um, He turned a river into blood. He sent them flies. Anybody big fan of flies? or their babies, maggots, not not a great thing to live with. He sends them gnats. He sends them frogs. He sends them locusts. All of the livestock dies. They have hailstorms. They have darkness cover the land. And still, Pharaoh hardens his heart. God hardens Pharaoh's heart. And so together, they're both hardening their heart. And so Pharaoh still won't listen. And so God says this in Exodus 12. Verse 12, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast on all the gods of Egypt. Gods with little g's. I will execute judgments. Why? Because I am the Lord. 
and I can do whatever I want to, and I am holy, and there's nobody holy in Egypt. Now, I want you to notice very specifically what it says in verse 12. He says, I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. That's a problem. Why? Because there were children of Israel living in the land of Egypt. Do you see in verse 12, God's judgment was on every firstborn child? Israel and Egyptian. The judgment was coming. Every firstborn child had the judgment upon them. Sometimes we get to thinking there's good guys and bad guys in the, in the Bible. And we got the good guys, the Israelites, and we got the, the bad guys, the Egyptians. Wrong. Everybody's wearing a black hat in this story. There's nothing but bad guys. God didn't pass over Israel because they were better than the Egyptians. Everybody had the judgment on them. So why did God not kill the firstborn of the Israelites? Verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you and on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Where was that blood going to come from? Look down at verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourself according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Verse 5 tells us that lamb was to be a one-year-old lamb. It was to be a lamb without spot, without blemish. It was to be a perfect lamb. And verse 22 says, take a bunch of hyssop. Hyssop was a, a tree and it had branches and apparently it had some absorbing Capacity, And so you were to take a hyssop branch. Why so detailed? Why couldn't you use a sponge? Why couldn't you just throw some, some blood up on the... For some reason, he wanted a hyssop branch. Take a hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel. A lintel is the top post of a door, in case you didn't know. Touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out the door of this house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. What's going on here? It does not take a lot of creativity. It does not take a lot of imagination to see something. We have blood on the lintel and we have blood on the left doorpost and we have blood on the right doorpost. What do you see? If some of this blood is dripping, what do you see? I see a cross. This was a thousand years before Roman execution was invented. And God is showing us in the second book of the Bible a preview of coming attractions. And He is showing us the path of the promise is through the blood. The only way any of them are getting out of this alive 
is if judgment passes over because of the blood and they get out of slavery through the blood. It's an incredible picture of Jesus Christ. One day John saw Jesus passing by and he nudged his buddies and said, see that guy right there? Behold the Lamb of God. On the last night of Jesus' life, do you know what he was doing? He was celebrating with his disciples the Passover meal, which required those guys to find a spotless lamb, drain its blood, roast the lamb, and have the lamb for supper. That's what they were doing the night before Jesus was killed. As a matter of fact, on the day that Jesus was killed and he was on that cross and a crown of thorns was placed upon his head and blood was dripping from the top and his hands were stretched out and blood was coming out of his hands on the left side and the right side. John tells us something very interesting that a Roman soldier did. A Roman soldier grabbed a hyssop branch. Sound familiar? And he dipped it in some wine and was medicated and offered it to Jesus. Why the specificity of a hip, hyssop branch? Why didn't it just say a sponge or a, another tree? Why a hyssop branch? Because we see that in Exodus chapter 12. It's a preview of what Jesus is going to do for each one of us as our Passover lamb. And that's exactly what the New Testament tells us in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Christ is our Passover lamb and he has been sacrificed. John also tells us that as Jesus died on that cross, none of his bones were broken. He bled a lot, but his bones weren't broken. Which was interesting because the normal way that someone would die on a cross is the Romans would come by and accelerate the execution by breaking the legs of that criminal so that he didn't have the strength to raise up and breathe. He would die of suffocation because his legs were broken. That didn't happen to Jesus, we're told. Why not? Because of what it says in Exodus 12, verse 46. It says, It shall be eaten, this lamb shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. God is showing us the story of the gospel in the story of the Passover. The whole Bible is one beautiful epic narrative. We call it the gospel. And maybe it's a new concept for you to see the good news in the Old Testament, but it's there. And we've heard it in today's teaching from Trent Griffith through the story of the Passover and the Exodus. We'll hear more on these stories next week. Trent Griffith is a senior pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. We also have a new campus in Elkhart County. If you'd like to visit either location, just go online and check out mygospelcity.org. Find where it says, I'm new here. You can read about what to expect, what time we meet, and things like that. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And on Facebook, search for Gospel City Church. 
Well, happy Father's Day weekend. I hope you'll take a moment today and thank a special dad in your life. Next week, Pastor Trent will show us what the Israelites crossing the Red Sea has to do with you and with me. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that gospel freedom would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.